The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with guests from all walks of life, we'll uncover new truths and valuable tools for manifesting our highest potential and uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so happy that you're here. Today, we're having on a woman who is a psychotherapist with over 20 years of experience as a clinician and a graduate of USC, specializing in addictions, relationships, codependency, trauma, parenting, divorce, and single parenting. She is currently serving as a private practitioner working with a broad spectrum of clients. In addition, she is a consultant for several high-profiles, Malibu rehab centers, and has worked with numerous celebrities in her career. Her psychotherapy and life coaching go much deeper than traditional therapy and coaching, as she has the unique ability to uncover intuitive insights from her clients' deepest selves, allowing them to manifest their greatest dreams and desires. In addition, she is the host of the Recovery Today Summit and co-host on the KVTA AM radio show, The Brighter Side of Recovery, Families and Couples in Crisis. She was the go-to expert for Dr. Drew Pinsky's Celebrity Rehab Show on VH1 and later on the spinoff, VH1 Sober House, as well as Celebrity Rehab Sex Addiction. With sensitivity and compassion, she works with each client to help them build on their strengths to identify and achieve their life goals. She is the author of the groundbreaking and award-winning book, The Law of Sobriety, Attracting Positive Energy for a Powerful Recovery. She writes for Deepak Chopra's Intent blog, on BeliefNet, the number one spirituality spirituality site on the web, and for Counselor Magazine Online, as well as her own blog. I am so excited to have her on the show today, so please help me welcome Sherry Gaba to Unashamed and Untamed. Hi. Uh, that was a really old bio. There's a few changes then. Um so let me just correct a couple of things. I'm actually the author of Love Smacked. And yes, and I was on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. Um, my specialties today are more around trauma, codependency, love addiction, and narcissistic abuse. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm thankful for those corrections um, because that is a lot of what we're talking about today is codependency, narcissistic abuse, love addiction, 
Right. Right. Well, you know, I've done a lot of things in my career. So, you know, it, it's things morph into other things. You know, I started out in the field of addiction, uh, working on celebrity rehab and then writing the book Law of Sobriety. Uh, and then it really I realized it really wasn't about the addict or alcohol. It was really about my journey and my journey yeah. through pregnancy and love addiction. So I think it's a really important topic. So the, and that makes me curious before we jump into the questions, um, what what your journey was that brought you to doing this work? So I originally was working a lot with addiction. I was working at a really famous Malibu rehab. I wrote a book related to addiction and I was married to an alcoholic. And um, I loved the work. It was, I find, you know, addicts and alcoholics, some of the most fascinating and sensitive and creative people that I've really ever worked with. But what I realized was it was really more about my journey, which was more about loving an alcoholic and trying to change him and fix him, enable him. And this is where the codependency piece comes in. And I realized, why am I talking about him all the time? Oh, why? Because I'm a codependent. So I really started doing a search um, and started diving deeper into my own stuff. And I am a therapist. I'm a life coach. But I, you know, I'm a human, too. And I think people really appreciate when I share that, that I have my own journey. And I'm my own, you know, I've had my own um changes and transformation. So really it just morphed into this other uh, career of working with love addicts, people that have been in abusive or toxic relationships and uh, working with codependents. Yeah. And what, um, we all kind of have a general idea of what codependency is, but maybe you can go deeper into what codependency actually looks like and how to know if we are a codependent. So codependency and love addiction kind of overlap. Uh, codependency is more about your life becomes unmanageable because you're trying to change or fix or control somebody else. And you're actually losing parts of yourself in this process. And we can, we'll get into it later why that happens, which is really the trauma piece. But you can be a love addict most love addicts are codependents, but you could be a codependent and not be addicted to a person. You could be addicted to changing a situation that you want to change, like not accepting things for what they are. So codependency is more about wanting to control people, places, and things. Love addiction is absolutely being obsessed with another person and trying to change them to be what you want them to be. You sort of fall in love with the illusion rather than the actual person themselves. So love addiction is really, it's a, it's a process addiction, and it's very similar to lifestyle addiction, soft addiction, such as being addicted to food or gambling or shopping or debting or, um, you know, it's basically a mood-altering activity and behavior that creates the same euphoric state that a substance would provide, only you're addicted to a person rather than the substance. Hmm. So, um, some of the signs and symptoms of love addiction would be over adapting to what others want and not having boundaries, a fear of letting go, a fear of the unknown, attempting to change others, needing others to feel whole, looking for others for affirmation and worth, fearing abandonment. That was my piece. I had a very anxious attachment style, so I was always afraid of somebody leaving me, rejecting me, abandoning me. Um, and you basically give up who you are so that you can be with that person. Mm -hmm. and so codependency is similar to that. But again, like I said, it also can apply to being addicted or obsessed with changing uh, places and things and not just yeah. people. So I know for me, um, I, my, uh, 
past partner was an alcoholic and uh, so was my birth father. And so I noticed where my anxious attachment style came in and my codependency and my love addiction was trying to heal his addiction in a way of trying to heal my father, in a way of trying to heal my childhood wounds. And if I could heal him, then it proved that maybe I was worthy because my father never gave up drugs and alcohol for me. Um, and I, once I healed that codependency, I moved on to a healthy relationship, but I'm curious if codependency can also look like um, feeling like um, you're in, you are in control of other people. Like maybe you're, if someone's in a bad mood, then you think it's because of you, or if someone's in a good mood, you think it's because of you. So you actually like confuse yourself with thinking you do have control over others when you really don't. No, you really don't. Well, what you're talking about when you said you were hoping you could heal the boyfriend and then you finally get the approval subconsciously of your mm -hmm. father, we call that repetition compulsion. So it's basically, if I just keep doing this and I keep doing it and I keep trying and I keep fixing it and I keep controlling it and I keep making it what I want to be, I keep manipulating it, mm -hmm. then finally I'll get the love that I never got. And of course, that's not going to happen. I mean, you can't make something make up for what you didn't get. But we're also finding out that codependency doesn't just have to be because you've had early trauma. And, and this is a really important piece. You can also be codependent if you have the personality trait of compassion and um, empathy and you have a very trusting personality and you're you're kind and loving and yeah we know now that there can be personality traits and I think this has been a very big breakthrough because so many people would go well I didn't have trauma you know my parents weren't alcoholics why am I codependent well a you have some of these really kind compassionate personality traits and then you just got with the wrong person and that's where you know, we talk about you end up attracting an addict or you attract a narcissist because, you know, you kind of don't have this, you're sort of this innocent person that doesn't even know this kind of stuff exists. I mean, that's what happened to me when I met my alcoholic husband. I didn't grow up with alcoholism. I had early trauma, but it wasn't that. And I met this guy and I'm like, I don't know anything about alcoholism. And then before you know it, I'm trying to save him, rescue him, please him enable him I'm doing everything to hold on to this guy and to get him sober and it really had nothing to do with having an alcoholic parent so I just had some of those traits of compassion and trusting and I was just innocent really and um, it's interesting that when being codependent you're you know trying to control the other person but you so deeply feel controlled by the other person so there's just this you know controlling dysfunctional dynamic um and i know that i was just told yesterday by an intuitive that like anytime you're trying to control something it's rooted in fear uh so there's just so much fear there as well in the abandonment and all of the other wounds that we're trying to heal um, i'm curious with the love addiction with those who have love addiction is it they're addicted to the adrenaline or the validation of the romantic partner or is it also like they're incapable of being alone and single? Like they, they're the ones that jump from, uh, they're like a serial monogamist almost. Yeah, well, they're addicted to the romance. They're addicted to not being alone in a way. It's almost like an addict. They're addicted to, um, they, you know, they don't feel like they're anything unless they're coupled up. If they don't have a partner, um, they the idea of being alone and being abandoned is so excruciating. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
And then there's this idea that this person is someone who they want them to be. Like you could be with somebody and you know that they have all these qualities you know you don't want, but you actually go into denial and you rationalize. Oh, but he's got this and he's got that. So I'm just going to minimize all these other things. So I can be with him because if I'm not with him, then I'm going to be alone. And that's even worse. So I'll just pretend that he's what I want him to be. And this happens all the time. So when I work with my clients, I always just break down truth. Like I have a, a client I'm working with now and she just got back into a toxic relationship and she's definitely a love addict. And basically every, nothing's changed. It's the same guy. I go, okay, so he still doesn't have a job. He still lives at home. He still doesn't want a commitment, but you're going to sleep with him and get back into a relationship with him when he really doesn't, he really doesn't fit what you want. And then, you know, the other person will look at you and say, oh yeah, I guess you're right. But a lot of people are resistant. They don't want to hear the truth. So my job is to always bring the truth. And I think deep down they know the truth, but what is it that keeps them from leaving that situation? Same, you know, same as what I was saying, like this fear of being alone, this fear of not finding anybody else. What The number one fear is, oh, I'll never find anybody else. Oh, I'll be, you know, I'm going to be alone forever. Nobody's going to want me. I'm too old. There's too many women out there. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. it all goes back to self-esteem and worthiness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, you're only going to attract what you are, you know, if you don't think you're worth much and they're just going to attract that and you know and what's sad about this particular client is that she's got a new job she's just been certified in this um you know skincare she's like a skincare person esthetician she's got all stop drinking and so all these really great things are happening in her life and yet for most of us as soon as we're at the pinnacle of success and we're at that great place of oh my god i'm finally doing great we go back to the default mm-hmm. and the default is always you know what we know and what we're used to. And, and like you said, it's, it's fear. We need to recreate the familiar pattern. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. Anytime we're, we're, we go, you know, the default is really about this call for, for love, this call for, for validation, this fall, this, this call for, val, you know, needing someone to, to give you attention. And it really starts with you. It starts with with you and once you have that then you can have a really fulfilling intimate relationship yeah but you can have that if you don't have a connection to yourself mm-hmm. and how can one recognize whether they are in love with someone or they have a unhealthy obsession with someone so in healthy relationships when couples first meet they idealize each other as they're forming an attachment but as love matures it becomes less intense but much more secure you know, trust develops alongside love. People with relationship addiction or love addiction, they never get past that initial stage of falling in love. Mm -hmm. They idealize the person they're in love with. They have an illusion of who they want them to be. They never feel secure enough to trust them. So they become dependent on the person. And they, they, you know, their love is very unrealistic. Um, They're hoping somehow this person's going to create this happily ever after. And it's really unrealistic to expect anyone to create a satisfying life for you. So inevitably, they're disappointed. Their relationships are ultimately never truly satisfying. Yet they can't seem to live without them. So they're not based on a healthy bond. They're based on psychological bondage. Yet they may stay with them for years at the same time, even though you're saying they don't, they don't get past that initial stage, right? 
Right. And then, then you could, you know, if you go up a little notch and it's an abusive relationship, sometimes they just get in the cycle of abuse. And if it's a narcissist, this person has been doing this love bombing, which is this, um, you know, telling them how wonderful they are in the beginning, you know, sending them flowers, courting them, doting on them. And then they get kind of addicted to that love bombing high and they keep searching for that. And then the guy becomes the real him or the woman becomes the real them and they're no longer love bombing. But now they're kind of like in this state of, I want to go back to the way they were. And then you stay stuck in this cycle of abuse. And then of course, there could be gaslighting, which is crazy making. Yeah. And so yeah. it's very complicated. And so this isn't about judgment or blame or shame. Well, why did I stay so long? You might have stayed long because you were in a narc- you were with a narcissist and, and they were manipulating you. Um, you might have stayed too long because you're afraid of being alone. You might have stayed too long because you're afraid no one else will want you. It can be many different reasons that you stay in these relationships that are unhealthy. Yeah, and that really... I, I notice in my past relationship and a lot of my friends' relationships currently, it is you get that um, initial stage where it's not only your projections of God upon them, but it's all of the love bombing that they give you, especially the ones with narcissism. And then it's like when you see the true colors or when you see the um, other side of them, you're so attached to that Um piece of them that made you feel so good that you're trying to convince yourself that that's who they really are instead and you're just trying to you're begging them to be who they really are is what you want them to be yeah yeah you're that's the love addicted piece mm-hmm. and yeah, you want and then then remember if you're a vulnerable person and you have low self-esteem and you're looking for that high and you're looking for that attention you're going to be really um vulnerable to love bombing you know, I, I use the example of my mother. My father had died. My mother met a con man. She was just devastated after my dad died. She had low self-esteem, and my dad was really her life. Mm-hmm. Um, understandable. She was grieving. They'd been married many years, but she still had this emptiness inside of her. Uh, my dad sort of filled up her cup, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then when she died, she felt like nothing. She meets this guy at a bar. He tells her she's beautiful and how wonderful she is. And I'm going to, you know, be the, the man of your dreams. And she ended up with a con man, um, a narcissistic, uh, sociopathic con man. Mm-hmm. So you really have to have high self-esteem when you're out there in the world dating, because there are people out there that are going to uh, be predators yeah. and they know, they know how to find insecure people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll talk about, um, you know, the ways to boost that self-esteem and and treatment options. But first, um, let's talk about how this begins. Uh, Is this, is it trauma that causes this to, I I know you said some of it, some of it is just from us being compassionate people, what some would call maybe empaths as well. And I know empaths is like a bullseye trigger for narcissists. If you call yourself an empath, you're basically making yourself pray to them. But is this, um, usually rooted in trauma is that what causes this yeah I, I think it mostly is rooted in trauma but I did want to throw out that caveat that it can be that you have a personality type that you're just a compassionate loving trusting individual so I don't want all people to think they had to come from trauma because it really people go well I didn't have trauma so I just have to throw that out there but yes if you if you don't receive what you need as a child and your emotional growth is stunted or you were neglected or abused or had emotionally unavailable parents 
or became a little adult, your parents parentified you because, you know, they were either alcoholics, addicts, emotionally unavailable, they were a single parent, then you really don't know who you are. You're, you're pretty much invisible. They didn't give you what you needed. So you didn't grow a sense of self. So victims of trauma end up having a very false reality of themselves and they don't know really who they are. So you second guess yourself and you don't trust your emotions because you don't even know what your true feelings are. The reason being is because you were invisible as a child due to that neglect and abuse or unavailable parenting. And there was no one to acknowledge who you were. So you learn at a really early age that your feelings don't count because you were not heard or validated. So then you become very other focused. So that's where the codependency comes in where you, it's all about them. It's not about you because you don't even know you. So everything um, becomes external, you know, and so that's where the people pleasing comes in or needing attention outside of yourself or low self-esteem. You know, if you don't have an intimate relationship with yourself, it's going to be really difficult to have an intimate relationship with another person. So all your relationships really become focused. Um, they become codependent relationships, mm -hmm. um, you know, it becomes all about them. You become a very other focused person. Mm. Can you, if you're codependent, um, still call in a healthy relationship or do you need to heal your codependency first? I'm just curious, like tr relational trauma typically is healed in relationships. So I'm curious if you can be codependent and then heal that in a healthy relationship or if it has to be healed first or if it's just situational, really. Well, if you're already in a relationship, of course, you can get help. You can, mm -hmm. you know a program like mine which is uh for people that are codependent or in a toxic or trying to heal from a toxic relationship mm -hmm. you can find a great therapist you can find a 12-step meeting i think it is always great if you're single you know to not if you know you have these traits i wouldn't run into a new relationship because you're just going to re repeat the same patterns mm -hmm. but i don't want to tell anyone out there well i'm with someone and i'm codependent i mean if they're with someone who's toxic or they're with an addict or a narcissistic narcissist they may want to rethink this relationship mm -hmm. but if they're in a relationship and they've just become very codependent they sort of become a punching bag they're always saying yes when they need to say no and they have no boundaries they absolutely mm -hmm. change and transform mm -hmm. um i think the biggest support the, the biggest transformation comes when you have other people to heal with yeah and that's I created my program, Wake Up Recovery, because yeah. to me, when I finally realized I was with an alcoholic and my whole life became him, it was like I kind of woke up and went, oh my God, I've given up my whole self for him. And so that was how I, you know, came up with that name, Wake Up Recovery. But, you know, the first step, Jade, is just being on a call like this, being aware, that's a treatment uh, approach, just being here, you know, here I am, I'm getting it, making a decision to change learning to stop looking for external solutions for problems, really looking at those fears that you were talking about, really getting out of denial and delusions and rationalizing and minimizing. I mean, really take the person for who they are, um, examine all that suppressed trauma that you had in childhood, start doing inner child work, do some self-parenting, um, become a loving, forgiving, compassionate person towards yourself first. Mm -hmm. Use the pain to grow and prepare for a healthy relationship. Start trusting yourself, let go. And um, that is a great start in healing. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, after that 
toxic relationship, I spent a lot of time being really intentional while I was single. Um, I did a period of celibacy. I did a lot of inner child work. Um, and then I called in a healthy partner that, you know, uh, is a securely attached man and very grounded and a sense of calm for me. In two years, he's never called me a name, never raised his voice at me, never even slammed the door. And I had never experienced that before. But where I noticed that my codependency still may try to peek its head, even in a healthy relationship, is if he's had an off day or if he seems upset and he's still not taking it out on me, but even then I internalize it and make it about me. I think, well, what did I do wrong? And I go in this like anxiety loop and then I just shut down. Um, so I notice my inner child still asking for healing there. Um, and those were all amazing ways. I think one of the things that uh, those listening can do at home would be inner child work. So maybe you can give an example of what that looks like. Oh, for sure. Um, so we have three different sort of I guess you could say behaviors. We have our inner child, which is our early wounds. That's the part of you that's anxious or didn't get what you needed or had parents who were unavailable. That's that core wound. Then you have your outer self, which is your behavior. So that would be the behavior of, oh, needing more attention, needing validation, uh, you know, uh, acting insecure, um, shutting down, um, going to drugs, you know, you know, all the things that are no longer, that are no, that are not healthy behaviors. That's your outer self. And then we have our adult self. So the adult self is like, oh, I acknowledge I have the wound. That's my inner child. My outer child is not going to start, you know, begging for love or asking for attention. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to be my adult self, which knows that my inner child is just having a moment. And I'm going to just kind of accept that that's what's happening right here. And I'm going to, and I think once you can recognize it, you kind of have these like pockets, you know, inner child, outer child, and adult self. A lot of people don't know about the outer child. No. The, yeah, the outer child is the behavior. The inner child is the wound, and the adult self is responding in a healthy way. So um, it's figuring out, well, what would be that healthy way? Oh, well, maybe it's healthy just to identify I'm having a moment or letting my partner know I'm feeling a little anxious. You know, maybe, you know, you could give me a little hug or, you know, it's not about being needy or it's just acknowledging the wound. And if you're with a healthy partner, they're going to be okay with that. And they're going to want to give you that little hug or, um, it's healthy reassurance. It's not like unhealthy reassurance where you start acting out, like having, a temper or manipulating or being passive aggressive or shutting, you know, even shutting down is really an outer child behavior. So we want to really be aware of these outer child um, sort of like defense mechanisms yeah. and really come from our adult self. Mm -hmm. And what can uh, someone do if they're with a partner that may, it may not be a very toxic relationship, but maybe they just are more of an avoidant attachment style and you try to express your needs. And like you say, what you, you just said, I'm, I'm having an inner child trigger right now. My worthiness wound is triggered, whatever it may be. Um, could you give me some affection? And they instead are very avoidant with that. What, what would their option be? That's a, that is a good question. I actually have a, a woman I'm working with right now that has that issue. It's very frustrating because mm -hmm. he, he can't acknowledge that he's being avoidant. Mm -hmm. So um, if this person can't even acknowledge that they're being unavailable or avoidant, this is going to be very frustrating. Yeah. So I think that's where you have to learn how to self-soothe. Mm 
I have different exercises. There's a butterfly technique where you can tap each side of your shoulders, mm-hmm. you your arms, and you just bring in all the people, all the, you know, all the allies in your life, all the compassionate people, your circle of love, and you sort of create this, um, this, it's, it's just a great exercise to deal with anxious attachment. It's basically self-soothing, you know, finding ways to self-soothe because you're probably not going to get it from the avoidant person. Yeah. So you're going to find ways to soothe yourself. Yeah, I promised myself in that single time that I told you about that I would never date an avoidant again because it is so hard. Um, I mean, it's great that you found a secure attached person. I think that's the best choice. But you can also find another anxious attached person, and then you just have to keep the lines of communication open. Because yeah. you both, you know, can kind of understand. and tr- You both have triggers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you start seeing that they're shutting down or they're you know, acting passive aggressively, you start seeing these things, you can go, hey, what's going on here? I think you're, you know, you're, you're getting defensive, or you just got to keep the communication open. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was either codependent no more or getting past your breakup. Those are two books I read after that relationship uh, that mentioned the outer child. Um, I, be- I believe it was one of those books, but something that I did try to do a lot was I would feel the inner child anxiety, whether I had a new interest and he wasn't calling me back or texting me back or whatever it was. And I would all of a sudden get that anxiety. And I, I knew my inner child was coming up. I would, I would call, and this is, you know, can be woman or a man, but I would, I have done so much work that I know now that I also have an inner wise woman. So I would say to my inner child, like I would ask my inner wise woman, like what, what can you say to my inner child right now? And I would just see what came out. And that was like a form of really strong form of self-soothing for me as well. As far as like a dialogue. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a self-parenting technique. And that basically I would call that your adult self, your Mm, adult self spoke to your inner, anyway, that's another, a great way is to have dialogue Mm -hmm. to journal and say, what would my adult self say? What would my outer child say? What would my adult say? And have them talk to each other sort of in a dialogue. Um, in a journaling exercise and then i'm a somatic experiencing tech uh, practitioner which mm-hmm. is how people unearth trauma that is um no longer working for them you know if you've mm-hmm. had early trauma so i think finding a really great trauma therapist mm-hmm. can be a really great way to um, unearth this trauma so that you can actually be present in your body because all this really is is trying to run from yourself all you know all anxious attachment is is i don't like being with me so I'm looking outside of me and I'm, you know, and, and it's really just trauma that needs to be released. And once you release that trauma, um, you can be present with yourself and you don't have to run from yourself and you no longer need other people to fulfill that inner need, that inner emptiness. I know for me and a lot of my friends, what I see them go through is when you're, tr- when you know the relationship's not right and you try to leave and you're the one that calls it off, it's like, you feel really good at first because you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm like, I'm doing what's best for me. But then it hits you that feeling of abandonment, even though you're the one that made the right decision. And then you're begging them, literally groveling at their feet, begging them not to leave because you all of a sudden become that child that feels abandoned by the parents. And you're, it, it, it you literally feel like you're going to die almost. Um, right. That's love. Well, it's kind of like love addiction. I mean, it's abandonment. Yeah. And, um, it never works. You know, if you're going back with that person that you left, there's a reason you left that person. There's a reason you divorced that person. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it's, it, that's why the trauma work is so important to really be able to be with you because um, no one else is going to, that's what I started out by saying earlier in the interview. It's a connection with you. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts, a connection with you. Yeah, in the beginning of that relationship, I had not started trauma work. Uh, about halfway through, I started doing plant medicine and um, really stepping onto the growth path and having mentors. And that was the only way I was able to leave the relationship. But I had to change something. I had to do the work, like you said. Um, and I to acknowledge that it still is still there sometimes. That oh, yeah. I want people to know, like, this isn't like this there isn't some snake salesman out there that's going to cure you from this wound. I mean, it's a wound. And so you can do this work and that's great, but you still have the wound. You just have to, it's how you manage the wound. It's how you regulate the wound. You know, it's how you behave with that wound, regardless of the wound. That's what makes us adults. Yeah. And you mentioned the outer child, um, I believe was the one that would do something like withdrawal. So maybe you can uh, talk about, the behaviors that may come out of an outer child and what exactly withdrawal is. Withdrawal is very agonizing. You feel very empty. You're very obsessive. You're in panic. There's a sense of not knowing who you are, the feeling you'll never find love again. But the positive side is if you have the opportunity to become whole again and to work on yourself, withdrawing is a time to meet yourself, to connect with yourself, and you know to find the authentic, precious self that you've been avoiding all this time. It's a time for self-love and for healing and for healthier relationships. Lastly, before we go into the lightning round at the end of the show, when someone is in that loop where they just, they try to leave and then all of a sudden they get caught up in the panic and the, uh, the abandonment and they beg them not to go, what are some ground rules they can place for themselves that way? they can move forward with the, the leaving of the relationship. I believe in the no contact. I, I really think you need to just make a decision that you're not going to contact them and you're going to, you know, get them off of social media. You're not going to check their feed. Um, you're not going to talk to them and you're not going to contact them no matter what. And then you have your circle of love, your allies in your life, your tribe, your member, you know, if you belong to a, a group, um, your therapist, you, you just enlist as much support as possible and you really make a commitment to, to do no contact. And there's nothing easy about no contact because we actually get addicted to the peptides of the relationship. And so it's very difficult. It's almost worse than being you know addicted to heroin. I mean, I, I don't know if it's yeah. as well. I know it's really, really hard, but you've got to do it. There is no option. And you tell yourself there is no option. I know this is going to be hard, but it, it's only temporary. Mm-hmm. And just have your, your circle of love, of, of support around you. Yeah, it's, that's something that's big for me is reminding myself it's only temporary because I get caught in the, this is going to last forever, you know, no matter what it is. Even now, like if a little thing in the home, I can start to think, I can't live this way. This is forever. So we're constantly reminding myself this is temporary. And it's also choosing short-term suffering over long-term suffering when you look at it. We're just trying to distract. You know, we, we make up all these stories, these narratives, like I'm going to be alone forever. This, is, this pain is going to never go away. These are all just distractions from actually looking at deeper, deeper, like this is, I'm really okay. I'm going to be okay. We get attached to these stories. You know, it's like, ask yourself, who would I be without this story? Who would I be if I could be okay, even though I'm doing no contact? Who would I be? Oh, I might be actually someone who's healthy. I might be someone who actually could find a great relationship one day. I want to willing to do the work. I could be someone who doesn't live in denial or resistance or illusion, mm-hmm. you know, 
just um and I, I just need to say there's no quick fix you know i know there's a lot of people on instagram lots of posts lots of good goodies on there like do this and do that but there is no quick fix to any of this i agree and i think another thing too with all of that is is letting go of the idea that you can be the one to heal the person because i know especially with the narcissist like one thing that um there are people who say like narcissists can't heal. It's a personality disorder. There's no healing um, and no treatment. And then there's other people that say they can heal, but they can't heal in relationship because they can't heal as long as they have someone to project upon. Um, so I know that that was something really big for me to. You know, I, I don't know if I completely agree with that. I, I think it's very hard to change a personality disorder. I, I'm going to suggest people go to my podcast called the love fix. Mm-hmm. I interviewed this couple um i wish i can let me see if i can find it on my phone but they are a couple one was a narcissist and one was a codependent and they did mm-hmm. heal, did oh. heal and so they would i think people would find that really interesting um just trying to open up my phone here i guess we can edit. uh wanting to heal then though yeah i mean it's it's fat it was a fascinating interview i think we got more downloads than ever because of that um it's called The Love Fix, and I'm going to tell you which episode so you people can check it out. The Four Attachment Styles in Love with Carista and Lion? Yes. Yes. Okay, so The Four Attachment Styles in Love with Carista and Lion is the episode that you're talking about. That's a really interesting um, podcast because he was, a, he was a narcissist and she's a codependent. Again, this is not the rule of thumb. Generally, narcissists don't change, yeah. but I this is a really fa- a fascinating, it was a fascinating interview, seeing how he did transform. So to close us off on uh, all this, because we talked so much about what codependency is, maybe you can just talk about how to recognize if your partner, and we all have narcissistic tendencies, but maybe you can, you know, tell us a bit of how to recognize if our partner is a narcissist or how to recognize someone as a narcissist before we begin to date them, either one. So I have like 30 signs that you're with the narcissist, but I'm going to only read off a few because we could be here all day and I know we don't have a day, but one of them is you feel on edge around the person, but you still want them to like you. They withhold attention and undermine your self-esteem. They lie, lots of excuses. They have no startle response. This is a really interesting one. They have the same reaction to like a chair and a baby. Like you normal person would be like, oh, cute little baby, you know, that's so cute. They, their brain lights up the same. They, they don't get excited about things. They're just kind of flat. Um, you fear that, um, that any fight could be your last. Um, you're obsessed with humiliating, successful, kind and cheerful people. They do gaslighting. They expect you to read their mind. Selfishness and crippling thirst for attention. You find yourself explaining the basic elements of human respect to a full-grown man or woman. They focus on your mistakes and ignore their own. They suddenly become completely bored by you. They're a hypocrite. Sometimes it seems as though they've forgotten who they're supposed to be around you. An unusual amount of crazy people in their past. They flatter your deepest insecurities. They comment about what you're wearing and how you look. Um... They, they, you find yourself always playing detective. Um, they always surround themselves with former lovers and potential mates. Mm. Uh, you're the only one who sees their true colors. Accuses you of emotions that they are intentionally provoking. They cannot put themselves in your shoes. You know the biggest one is lack of empathy. 
Yeah, lack of empathy for sure. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty long list, but yeah. the biggest sign is that they just have no empathy. They cannot see your point of view. They always have to be right. There, there's just no dialogue because they're always right. Yeah, they're very self righteous. Yeah, and the I know you had the story of hope with the uh, couple that you interviewed, but for the most part, if you're with someone like that, the best thing to do is leave. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And especially if you're being abused verbally and or physically, for sure. But yes, that's just an interesting, uh, you know, interview. But yes, in most cases, there's really very little you can do with a narcissist. Yeah, it's interesting how a lot of people don't tend to think that verbal abuse is no longer abuse these days. Oh, it's definitely. It's definitely abuse. I agree. Actually, yeah, we have some episodes on that, too, about emotional abuse. And, you know, I just want to say to people, it's not about shame or blame. It's really hard to get out of these relationships because you're in that cycle of abuse. And, you know, they've, they've you've become addicted to the love bombing. You've got you. You now your self-esteem is really low because you've been abused. And so just be really compassionate with yourself. You can get out of it. Just find a wonderful tribe of people that can support you through it or get a great therapist or coach yeah yeah i agree um so there's a few short questions that i like to ask everyone who comes on the show first if you could hug your younger self right now what would you say don't settle for less if you could have the whole world read one book which would it be mine love smacked love smacked <laughs> My book and is about narcissism and codependency and love addiction. Yes. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Radical self-acceptance. Just rather have radical self-acceptance. Hmm. I love that. I feel like um, I feel like that needs to be a, a your next book title: radical self-acceptance. <laughs> if there's another. And, you know, people are going to laugh when I say this, but, you know, if you want to be with that addict, that narcissist, that abusive person, you know, do it. Just be honest and be accepting of what that is. Don't try to change. it. It's not going to change. I mean, you you have a choice. You can either accept it or move on. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we are accepting it, though, and being honest about that, uh, our next thing that we have to accept is that we're maybe choosing to stay a victim there's this some sort of victim mentality that we're attached to that we've identified with which is tough all right how can people connect with you i know you have um a program that you wanted to talk about so tell us about that and i'll also include it in the show notes thank you very much thank you first of all for having me on your show and um, for allowing me to have this platform to talk about my work um so my book is called love smacked and that's on amazon it's all about relationship addiction love addiction and codependency and toxic relationships and then i have a program called wake up recovery and for your listeners it's a dollar to join and then it goes to 27 dollars, and it's a membership program and it, um, i have my signature course called wake up recovery which is all about how not to settle for less how to get through a breakup how to recognize a toxic relationship um, all the things that we've talked about on this interview, every month um, there's a new master class, and then we do a live class, a, a live coaching call every month. It's it's ridiculously low <laughs> low cost for what you're getting. Yeah. You're getting me live once a month, you're getting master classes, you're getting a course, you're getting tons of interviews that I've done with experts like yourself. 
And um, I'd love to see people in there. And plus the Facebook group community where people, you know, share and support each other. Yeah. So thank you for putting that link in your show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, all right. Thank you for coming on today. And uh, we are, um, we're so thankful for the work that you're doing. And I know that it's, you know, healing more hearts than you probably know, and uh, therefore healing their children as well. So thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you. I know for me, um, being a recovering codependent and being a recovering love addict, even though I'm not in the midst of those personality, um, they're not necessarily disorders, but even though I'm not in the midst of those dysfunctional patterns anymore, just having this conversation can stir up some anxiety because it reminds me of how overwhelming and scary those drowning feelings were. So I just want to remind everyone that's listening um, to just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath and remind yourself of all of the things that Sherry offered that are hopeful and are possibilities for healing. I have, as always, a magic trick for the end of the show that I pulled from Sherry's Instagram, which I highly recommend you follow. 10 writing prompts to practice self-love. And we know that self-love is one of the first steps for healing to work on self-love. So you can either write these or you can listen to them now and see what comes up. The first one is, what do you like about yourself? How can you let go of what others think? Name three ways to be kinder to yourself. That's a big one. How can you let go of trying to be perfect? Where do you need to say no in your life? How can you acknowledge progress? Where can you start letting go of control? That's a big one too. Remember all, all striving for control is, is rooted in fear. Name three things you love about yourself. What do people usually compliment you on? Where can you forgive yourself? So those are 10 writing prompts or um, questions you can just ask yourself right now to practice self-love, to cultivate self-love. All right, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much to me if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend. And you can also join me on Instagram at untamed and unashamed. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here. <laughs>